Welcome to the Trojansports.com post-game podcast. In true Trojansports.com fashion, Adam and I are the only ones left in the stadium, staring at a dark field. But we have we have energy, we have thoughts to give you, we have opinions. Adam, what was your main takeaway tonight? I don't really have one from this game. <laughs> it was okay. Uh, there were definitely positives. It felt more individual. You look at the running backs, Devin Williams. Uh, defensively, I don't know. I really thought that given how well the defense had played earlier in the year, that that would be something that would be there throughout the year, and I didn't know that the injury would, would come and be such a force. But now I'm kind of leaning toward your take a couple weeks back where the defense is not going to be good for the rest of the year. It, it, it'll be good maybe at times, but it probably won't for enough. Where I think that if the offense isn't really good, then it's going to be hard to win. Uh, this was a game that I don't think USC could lose. And yet, it was really tight in the fourth quarter, uh, early in the fourth quarter, late in the third quarter. Oregon State, in fact, probably should have tied the game when they it was a scoop and score that was incorrectly ruled down, and Oregon State didn't really recover from that call going the wrong way. I think USC would have won the game even with that touchdown, but gosh, it, it was going to be a tie game and all the yeah. momentum for the Beavers. It's really weird in that the numbers, if, if you didn't watch the game and you just look at the numbers, you would think, wow, that must have been a really one-sided affair. Yeah. USC wins by 17 points. They outgain Oregon State 509 to 332. They outrush Oregon State 332 to 31. It's hard to look at those numbers and imagine a game being tenuous or, or, or tense in the fourth quarter, and yet it was. It was a seven-point game. Oregon State has two chances in USC territory. They're in the red zone. Yeah, and, and they're stopped on fourth down twice. You mentioned the officiating blunder that cost them maybe a fumble return for touchdown. And so I was writing my story, and afterward I thought, I thought you know, was I too harsh? Was it, was it too negatively skewed? Because you look at the numbers and – on paper, they handle business, but it just never felt that way tonight. And I, I don't. You feel good about the rushing game. You feel better about the offensive line, but that was expected against a team like this. Yeah, this is the second worst defense in the country statistically. Yeah. So I don't know how much you can even take away from those things, but you look at a, a USC team that has blown leads all season and nearly did it again to the bottom dweller in the conference. And it's hard It's hard to shake that and just focus on the positives when it was very nearly a different kind of night. Yeah, I mean, this game fits right in with every other. Basically, it depends on who they're playing. If they're playing a better team tonight, they probably lose, or at least it would be much closer. Yeah. It'd be more like the ASU game, where it could have gone either way. 
and it would depend on who made the big plays in the fourth quarter. But given how bad Oregon State is, it was going to be really hard for USC to lose, even as much as they might have tried at times. It, it followed all the plot points. Big early lead. Yeah, nearly squandered. 21-0. Nearly squandered. As that's happening, the offense goes into a rut, has back-to-back costly three and outs, and then buys fumble. And it's just – it's. It's like the Twilight Zone. Like we've seen this so many times this season. This one they happen to escape with, but I don't know. I don't come out of this week feeling more confident about the next two games than I did before this game. No, the next two games were more about a matchup, and neither Cal nor UCLA is very good. They're just okay. Yeah. Everyone in this conference is probably just okay. Uh, even Washington State, they, they only have one loss, and they squeak by Cal, and their one loss is to USC. How good are they? Uh, no one's very good right now, and and that's why it's kind of compelling how the whole division will shake out and even the conference. But we'll get to that in a little bit. Um I guess we should kind of talk about the running game because it had been a problem throughout the year. And I don't think that they proved anything tonight. I don't want to go there yet. It reminds me a lot of Arizona where you just knew that they had to run, that they were going to run the ball well as long as they committed to it, which they did. And that was going to be like the one thing that I could, I guess, Stay with confidence that with Clay Helton's a play caller, they're going to run the ball more. And I do believe that they'll run the ball better with Clay as a play caller. I'm not going to say that because of what happened tonight, but because that's what I remember from him as a play caller in 2015 when he was both the head coach and the play caller. And, and I knew that he was really in control. Before, when, when, he, when, when Stark was the head coach, it was hard to say what Clay's role was as the play caller, but uh, it was a point that even the players made where they felt like, okay, this is Clay's deal. Like he he has like that autonomy and that confidence in what he's doing. And not that the offense is perfect tonight or anything, but I felt like there was a little bit more conviction in when they would run it, the downs they would run it. I just noticed um, it, it seemed to be like they weren't afraid to run on certain downs or, or go back to something just because it didn't work. Where in the past, I kind of felt like they would maybe give up on it a little bit too much or they were looking for the home run too much. There was less of that tonight. You didn't see JT chucking the ball down the field you know, over and over and over just because, I mean, even tonight he probably could have against his defense. So I think I'll commend USC on the fact that even though they could have beaten Oregon State in a different manner and, and maybe done it in the way they tried to before, they were trying to establish the run. Uh, in fact, I got, they could have ran the ball even more. <laughs> okay, That might contradict what I've, what I've been saying right now. But I did like maybe some of the particular downs and distance decisions that they made to run the ball. And yet, sure, there, there were times where they could, like, they could run the ball in every, every play in a drive. 
Not, not that you're going to run it 15 times in a row, but they could have run it even more than they did in the first half. It was actually a 50-50 split. 20 pass plays, 20 run plays. And in the second half, I thought they, uh, I don't know if they made an adjustment or became more aware of the fact that like we don't really need to throw the ball at all. But in other games, they will have to. And I asked Clay, I said, were you throwing as much as you did because you were thinking that you had to get JT into a bit of a rhythm coming off of an injury? He just said that he wanted balance. Uh, I didn't particularly care for that response because you don't need balance when you're playing this bad of a, a run defense. But uh, anyway, I, I do feel like it was a baby step in the run game, if nothing else. A couple points there. Uh, what I took away from Clay's comments were that his intention all along was to run more after halftime to kind of ice the game or put the game away. And so that was his plan going in. Um, it worked tonight. So I don't know how much we can read into how he's going to be committed to the run because they averaged seven and a half yards a carry over 44 carries tonight. Yeah. The, the times when they've gone to asking JT to fling it down field every other play or when the, is when the, the game run game doesn't work and they have they feel they have no other option. Um, I asked three players tonight what differences they noticed with Clay as the play caller. And I wasn't expecting illuminating responses and didn't get them for the most part. The one telling comment was from Sed Ware, who said Clay's a lot quicker getting the plays in or, or – or, going to plays and they had to get used to how fast he wanted to move things and that he was preaching tempo and so if they busted a big big play he wanted them up and ready to go next play pretty quickly and that was the one change that anyone really identified I thought that was interesting no that, that's very interesting I wasn't there for the wear interview but that does I think line up with the eye test and, and that's where I, I kind of felt it watching that they they believed in what they were doing. Uh, it didn't feel like they were kind of pulling things out of a hat or guessing. Um, you mentioned the the average. They actually get rid of the sacks because I like. I, I mean, yeah, sure, sure. The way the NFL computes this is a lot better than they do in college football. USC actually ran thirty eight times with the three backs. They scrapped the, the Vales Jones jet sweep. Yeah, I noticed that. <laughs> There's another uh, <laughs> kind of progress. 38 times, they gained 355 yards, 9.3 yards per carry yeah. for the three backs. Yeah. But you made the best point, though. It's very much like the Arizona game. And we said after that game, we're not going to read too much into that because to a degree it was expected we didn't read much into it, and sure enough, they reverted back to not being able to do it thereafter. They're, yeah, they're not going to do that versus Cal. Like, that, that, that won't happen. You can throw those numbers out for that game. However, I also liked that I, I got he gave the backs an opportunity into a rhythm, you know, where he kind of would stay with a guy for a little bit. And they, they even got Stephen Carr going before he went down with an injury. And we, we don't know the severity of that one. Uh, it looked like it might not be good, though, the way that he was unable to put any weight on it, and he was already in a boot right after the game. 
again, I, I don't know where that is going to be headed. I think sometimes that they might be a little bit better off kind of alternating between two guys anyway. Uh, so it, it looked like it was working for them, uh, especially when it was just Ware and Vavai. They, they both were really productive. Uh, I, I don't know. I, the run game, what's evident with this offense is that uh, they they have to have it. Like we we've all known that they they can't really beat anyone good without being able to run the ball, and and that goes back before this season, where a lot of their losses versus good teams like Ohio State and Notre Dame last year, uh, and Wazoo and that loss, and other close games that they ended up winning, like Texas in 2017, when they couldn't run the ball, then it kind of just stifled the whole offense to an extent, and. And I think Clay is determined to figure that out. It's a very telling comment earlier in the week from T. Martin where he, he mentioned how Clay had approached him about can, potentially taking over the run calls uh-huh, right. you know, earlier in the season yeah. and, and allowing T. to keep calling the, the pass plays. And I know I mentioned that you know before, but I come back to it because I think that's one thing that we're going to kind of see with Clay Helkin is uh, you know, a conviction in the run game, which for the long term, I know no one's thinking long term right now with Clay Helton, they don't want to go there, but if he is going to be the coach long term, then I think that that's something that he won't allow to be such a glaring issue. I think that he'll be determined to, to figure that out. I'm going to disagree with you on one point. You Go made. for it. I love it. <laughs> I, I'm going to Double down on the point that I made two weeks ago. Okay, I'm still not a fan of the preset rotation, and and we had a good example here tonight where Sedware was great the whole night long. Yeah, and I understand that Vi was also productive, but but Sed was great and could have taken more carries, and he went almost a full quarter between carries. Too long for his, sure. His second touchdown run early in the third. Yeah. And then he didn't play the rest of the quarter. The rest of the quarter. And then he comes in, and his next carry is that 62-yard touchdown run that puts the game yeah. away, more or less. And it's clear that they're still sticking to some kind of script or some kind of plan there. I, I just I would like to see less of that. And if a guy's rolling, just let him roll. If he's not, get the other guy in, and that's when you make the change. You don't, yeah. you don't make the change for the sake of making the change. You make the change when you feel you need to make a change. Yeah. I, no, you're right. Uh they don't. They don't ride the hot hand, and and where was the hottest? They all were good tonight, and so that's why it's probably a little bit harder, uh, or a good problem to have when they're all productive and whoever you've put back there. I know Levi had the fumble. It's definitely but, nitpicking tonight. Yeah, but I'm just saying as it's no, general. It philosophy. matters yeah. when you're in a tight game and you're playing a better defense, then you don't want to be rotating as much as they do. You want to kind of lean on the guy that is your most productive guy. And I, I do feel like they kind of did that because Vivai got a lot of late carries that kind of brought him up to 15. But Ware had the bulk of them for you know the first two and a half quarters where he probably had as much as Vivai and Carr combined. And, and that's the kind of, I think, ratio that you want where your league back has probably the total of the next two guys put together. I think that they did that 
Um, but it is a valid point, and it's something that you know, I, I wrote about this week before, where they typically just do not feature the, the running back that has the most carries. I don't know why. I, well, I, they've kind of said that. Like, we, we have an idea that we want to play all of them. And I get that in the first quarter because you don't know who has not end and you don't really know what's working. But they seem to kind of drag it on a little bit too long. Um, it obviously was not an issue tonight. But it is something to keep in mind because it could be something that we see next week. So you mentioned Stephen Carr's injury. Um, we should mention the other major, major injury from tonight. Michael Pittman leaves in the first half with a shoulder injury. It was on, <clears throat> it was on a play downfield. He couldn't come up with the catch. I need to see it again to have a better sense for what happened. But he's talked openly this season about how that AC sprain in his shoulder held him back the first few games. Yeah. And he said it even affected the way he ran. He, like, he couldn't yeah. move his arms as freely as he would want to, and, and that was uh, impacting his speed downfield. Mm-hmm. And he was just finally feeling like he was getting past that, and the numbers bear that out. He The, the last three games before this one, he was phenomenal. He was, he the, was best the best player in the game. On the entire team. And now he was uh, – he was checked out on the sideline for a while after yeah. he went down. He was he was stretching his arm. He was extending it, trying to move it. Ultimately, went back to the locker room, changed, and was done for the night. We don't know his status beyond tonight. Um, that'd just be a crushing blow for this team. And, and just again, like you go, who else can you lose of a, a immense value? I mean, just the, the list is getting longer and longer. Yeah, uh, can I? It didn't matter. It, just for tonight, you know, Kevin Williams had a little breakout game, the true freshman receiver who has been very exciting in practice. And you kind of figured, like, he needed some time. And I understood why he didn't play as much because of the people that were ahead of him. But also you knew that there would be a time where he would play and he would produce. And he really did. Yeah. And he made a quick turnaround even in the game tonight. But... This will hurt the team moving forward to not have Michael Pittman. Uh, it's a kind of guy, kind of guy that I think if you're in a big game, he he makes the kind of plays that that give you a spark that he, affect both sides of the ball. He's bailed them out at times. Bailed them out, yeah, yeah. Turned interceptions in the touchdown. Nothing else is working, and then Michael Pittman makes a big play. I think he's starting to kind of carry a lot of weight. You know, he has some cachet. He's a voice. He's very confident. Uh, I think he's someone that has a positive impact throughout the locker room. And it would be a shame if he were out for any duration. Uh, it's an injury that kind of nagged him for a while, even prior to this season. And uh, I don't know if it's something that's going to require surgery long-term, but... Uh, I don't know that USC could make up his – it's kind of like a Porter thing where, sure, they could put a guy there and the guy could maybe produce, replicate some of it, but they're not going to get the whole package. It's a great comparison because Porter was capable of elevating the defense. Yeah. Making plays that elevated the entire unit. Pittman has proven that the last few weeks. And you have to think that even if he is able to play next week or in two weeks or whatever, 
it's probably going to be the version from earlier in the season where he's limited. Right. Because if it was bad enough that he couldn't return tonight and, and it clearly looked like he was having trouble on the sidelines with it, then those same things that he felt were holding him back earlier will probably return. So, and in the passing game, you know, I mean, again, Jen Williams, good night for him for sure. But it, it was just okay as a whole for the passing game. There, there wasn't a rhythm to it there. JT looked like he was kind of a little rusty, trying to get into a groove. Uh, definitely was not humming the way that it was for a portion of the Arizona State game. Oh, I see where you're going. It it just wasn't. It didn't, it didn't look the same. I, I don't I don't know how you could argue otherwise. We knew that they were committed to JT and that he would be the guy once he was cleared. And that's not going to change. I don't think JT's really being closely evaluated here to where, depending on his performance week to week, he's in danger. I think that you, know, you want to talk about job security with USC, JT might have as much as anyone. And this is where we disagree because I don't have a problem with that. <laughs> and, and also, again, I think people are reacting so strongly to Jack Sears playing two good quarters. And they were good. Like, he impressed me. He, he changed my opinion of him. But it was two quarters. And he also played two bad quarters. And I don't know why everyone's looking at two quarters and, and thinking they need to totally reevaluate the, the depth chart at this point in the season. You thought he had a bad fourth quarter? No. I, think, I thought he had a bad first two quarters. Oh, he was good in the second quarter. At the end of the second quarter. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the last Yeah, two, two plus. Let's go two plus on that. Two quarters. And two I wasn't minutes. sure what what quarters you were referring to, but no, he finished strong. He was great. Yeah, and and he was. He impressed me. But I, but well, those were his last ones too, in his first ever start. I understand. Yeah, I mean, you get I, like I get he literally it. had never played, and then yeah, I'm he well had aware. A, he had a pretty quiet quarter and a half, and then played really good football from there on. He did, I, but it didn't change my opinion about JT. I still think he has great upside. Yeah. I've seen that at times. Well, I mean, upside, that's cool and all. But what about, like, right now? Like, I know this team can afford upside. You thought JT was better tonight than Jack was last week? I don't think JT was bad tonight. What do you think he was better? Um, I don't know. He wasn't. You, you, he wasn't better. You think Jack last week was clearly, clearly better than what JT was tonight? Yeah, I think he's better uh, than what we've seen from JT for about a month. His mobility is a nice addition. It's a nice thing to add in that definitely opens things up and would be even more valuable on a night unlike tonight when there isn't a ground game to support the quarterback and there is a lot more pressure in the backfield. So I agree with that. But I wouldn't dismiss upside. You're you're figuring out who your quarterback's going to be for the future. Well, I, I, mean, it's, it's, I think they've already think that they figured it out. Yeah, and I, and I agree with them. Yeah, yeah. You think there's more value over harm and uh, jostling back and forth of that position right now, and yanking guys out and having them having that job decided on a week to week basis? Because I would disagree with that. You don't like quarterback controversies. I think that's where a lot of their uh, hesitancy to play Jack would emanate from. Uh, just 
wanting to avoid that at all costs. But I'm looking long term, meaning beyond this season. Me too. That's why I brought up upside. Yeah. Uh, upside is, is a long term consideration. Yeah. And upside is perceived, you know. It, yes, and I, I perceive JT not, that the upside. Yeah, yeah, it's not realized, is my point. It, it's not evident. It can be realized. It, well, it hasn't been yet, is what I mean. Yeah, like, again, the way that JQ's played for about a month now is not as good as Jack played over the final two and a half quarters. That's a lot of evidence. Right. When I say it was two quarters, it was also two quarters when you're already down 17 points. Mm. And we've seen all season, most teams, when they're up big, there is a certain degree of loosening on the defensive side. You don't, you don't stay as locked in the entire well, you, time. Well, USC doesn't. Uh, we've I seen mean, other teams do it, too. So uh, Texas and Utah are like getting let up. No, we've seen teams not do it. We've seen teams do do it. So Yeah. I just think it was it was a great two quarters against a, a better defense, respectable, a, a defense. much better defense than this one. You just mentioned how this defense is one of the worst in the country for sure. But I, I don't know why we're comparing this game to that game. It just it, it seems well, we're talking quarterback play. I know, but it's, it, we've seen JT play a bunch of games. I don't know why. We focus just on this. Oh, game. oh, I'm looking at JT in in this game. Uh, Utah. I goes before that. Was it Arizona or Colorado? Colorado. Col- yeah, the second half of Colorado. It's really the last good quarter that he had was the second quarter of the Colorado game. So we're looking at about ten quarters now of JT that have been pretty blah. His last ten quarters have been eh. I definitely get that that is the popular opinion right now, and I would probably be in the minority with my stance. That's fine. Yeah. Um, but that was – this has been a, a tangent. This has been a fun tangent. But what? We, what do you think it matters? Oh, it matters immensely. The way that they've chosen to go about it, you, you're not going to pull JT. They're not going to bench him to play Jack because it would, it would just send such a message to him personally. I know. that's they, that, They're not going to do that. That factors into they, my, my Clay's equation. kind of put himself in a corner the, by the way he, he did it. I think most teams would operate that way, though, in this case. Well, they might have stayed with Jack because JT was coming off a concussion and you know played it off as we're letting JT heal and, and get right and give him a little bit of time. Uh, let his body recover from kicking a pounding versus Utah. Not just the concussion, but just everything else. And and we'll work him back in. I still think they could have played both. And I think this game would have been the perfect scenario to play both. This game. I know that you don't want to do that every week. But this game, I think, afforded them that, that opportunity. But I don't think they're interested in that. Yeah, I don't have a problem with, with that scenario. If they wanted to give him a couple series, I, I, I wouldn't have a, an issue with that. I mean, he didn't even come in in the fourth quarter when the game was right. over and they were running out the clock. Right. So going back, though, I want to go back because we, we started to talk about Michael Pittman and Devin Williams, and I want to focus more on Devin Williams. And he had a very interesting first series. Yeah. He's, he's targeted down the left sideline, incomplete. Uh, you asked him about that 
after the game because he thought maybe he had lit up on the route. And he, and he said, actually, I was being held, I was being tugged. Yeah. He had beaten the defender. Mm-hmm. I, I noticed that. I just kind of happened to, to lock in on him on that play. And I saw that he had a step or two. And JT picked up on it. And he let it rip. Yeah. And then when I looked at Gevin again, because my eyes kind of darted to JT and then back to Gevin, he was even. And, and so I didn't realize he'd been pulled. I thought, yeah, did he maybe slow up thinking that it wasn't coming to him? But Gavin actually told us that you know he kind of pulled me back and and I need to run through that and, and not just kind of allow that to happen and and run away from him is what he was saying mm-hmm. and because he didn't the ball ended up looking like it was overthrown. It's actually a very well thrown ball that I think would have connected had Devin maybe just given a little bit more on it and that's what he said himself. But what's really interesting is that so he comes off the field. And in a couple plays later, it's third and long, and JT went back to him and connected, yep. and it was like an eight, nine-yard game, and that was his first career reception. And then right after that, goes back to Devin on a very similar downfield pass, and Devin ran right through it and put his arms underneath it and caught a 41-yard touchdown. 41-yard touchdown. Um, fans may not know this. Maybe you don't know this. Okay. Devin Williams, yeah, or JT, uh-huh. our roommates. I didn't know. Yeah, and uh, I asked JT, "What's the area that you've seen Devin come the furthest in this fall?" And he was being very diplomatic in his response. He said, "Like every freshman in the history of football, he didn't fully know the playbook early on, wasn't comfortable in it. That's he thinks that he's really grown in that regard." to this point, and he said he had no missed assignments tonight that I saw. He executed all of his responsibilities. And so, at the very least, if Pittman is out for a while, you do have a, a, an intriguing guy with, yeah. with, dare I say, upside to fill in there and, and be a, a potentially capable playmaker at that spot. Yeah, Maybe not the game-changer that Pittman's been, just based on experience and years and, and stature. It's a little but, bit different. You know, I mean, yeah, they're about the same height, although Pittman has made it clear that Devin's taller than him. But Devin's fast. Yeah. Well, so after that first incompletion, I asked JT if he talked to Devin. He goes, yeah, I I pulled him aside and I said, no one can run with you. So just keep that in the back of your mind. And that's the confidence he has in him. That's that's the way he views him. Yeah, yeah. I've said it before, but it's been a while because – we haven't been talking about Gavin Williams. Really unique to be built like that. Very slender, obviously, and really tall. And a legitimate 6'4", maybe 6'5", and quick. You know, he runs like a slot guy. And I don't know that he would run every route in, in that manner, but if you give him a streak, he kind of has a little bit of like a moss in him. Yeah. And... I've been excited uh, with him. You know, I, I always felt like that's someone that, okay, I don't know what he'll do right away. I know we've seen a lot of freshman receivers at USC make a big splash right away, but this team had some tools, you know, between Vaughns and Pittman and Amon Ra, who's just a different guy, and, and none of them are really playing the slot, so, and Gavin's not going to play it. So I understood why he didn't play. I, that's one that I would, I would defend if anyone's questioning why he didn't do more earlier. Uh, I, I don't think that was an oversight by the coaches. I think they knew what they had, but 
there wasn't maybe the media. I mean, you could, you could tell that like he he is still very much learning and, and raw, but maybe someone that can make a splash here late in the year. Yeah, so that, that's that's those are the main storylines in the offense tonight. What were your takeaways on defense? We hit it a little bit at the top, but anything else that stands out to you? I have some thoughts. I mean, off the top, I thought that Oregon State was shredding the USC defensive backfield for a long stretch. It felt like the entire second quarter, third quarter. In fact, I don't quite understand why they went away from it. It felt like they turned to their run game later when they got when they had gotten into uh, within a possession. I, I I don't know. I, at one point, they completed a nearly eighty percent uh, above seventy five percent of its passes. On their second touchdown drive, there were two passes: the touchdown pass, which was an eleven yard touchdown pass, and a forty ish gain in the middle where I couldn't even tell whose fault it was because there was no one even close by. Uh, I think you had the tweet of the night on that one. <laughs> yeah, I mentioned that. I, I, don't, yeah, I don't know who got beat on the play because there was no one there. The closest defender I saw was defensive line coach Kamechi Ugezi, <laughs> who I, I didn't know at the time because he's been on the field. He recently moved from the box to the field but for this game, they moved him back to the box because they wanted another set of eyes on the run game. They were worried about their run defense. And that was a big priority for them in this game to stop the run. And they did a good job of it. And therefore, they moved Konechi up to the box. So I was actually kind of wrong. So Clancy, to me, seems... Um, exasperated with the left cornerback situation. He said, I've seen that movie before. Yeah, he's he's getting more and more candid. And that's why he moved Biggie over there. Right, moved Biggie Marshall over to the left side eventually. Um, Elijah Griffin is still out with a shoulder injury, and it's really dragged on and lingered, and I don't know if that changes next week or not. But whenever he's ready to go and he's gotten some practice in so he's not totally rusty, I think they just need to throw him out there and try him because we've seen Langley be pretty much the same guy all season. And the book's out now. Like, like Teams attack that part of the defense as well they should. They ended up with Jonathan Lockett over there. And, again, I felt like they had kind of – lost their way a little bit uh, late in this game offensively. And I don't know why, right? But I would have Lockett. Uh, you've known that Lockett, you know, that's where I've stood for a long time. You, yeah, you've been on this corner for a while. <laughs> I don't even know why at this point. I feel like it's kind of been futile to really talk about it because they hadn't even really worked him over there. They moved him to nickel behind a Jenny who doesn't really come off. Yeah. But they ended up, you know, they moved a Jenny to safety because they needed help there. And then with the cornerback situation being what it was, they had to move Lockett from nickel to outside and then move Jenny down and Pollard back to safety. It, 
Clancy kind of grasping for you know for air here with you know exasperating the word. Uh, I don't know what to expect. I mean, Cal's passing game is not lethal. It might not be an issue. It's it's not the problem that Oregon State presented tonight. But I don't know. It, I don't think that there's an easy fix. I'm not sure there's any fix for the defense overall, and that's why I made the point before that I think they're just going to be this way the rest of the year. Um, yeah. But I would try all, all options at that left cornerback spot. Do you think keeping Lockett there is, is the way to go? I, yeah, I would starting with Lockett there, yeah. you know, day one, personally. We'll see. They did shut down the run because Oregon State had come into the game featuring that, and their quarterback situation not been good for a lot of the year, and that might have been a part of it. But USC did it. I mean, that that was the number one thing they wanted to do. They did it. It kind of felt like, you know, they covered up one hole and another one burst open. We've seen that. It, it was not a dominant performance. Yeah, I, I'm not... I'm not impressed. Do you, do you feel good? I mean, do you feel good about what they did tonight defensively? No. No, I mean, they they had sacks, but they got him, and they got him a little bit later. But Oregon State gives up sacks. Yeah. Uh, a a Jane made a really nice pass breakup on one of those fourth downs. Uh, they were good in the fourth quarter. So there, there were a few highlights, but overall, no, and that's why. Oregon State scored on three straight drives to get back in this game. When when they had to respond, they seemed to have no trouble responding there. Nonetheless, the door is open again for the Pac-12 South. What it's weird. It it's it's what's what's the word to explain this? It's just chaos. Arizona State mass mediocrity. <laughs> Arizona State is in fourth place right now, technically, because they play one fewer what, game. One less game yeah. There are four teams that are tied with three losses, three of them at four and three, and an ASU at three and three. ASU controls its own destiny because they've beaten USC and Utah. And Utah. Yeah, they're in the driver's seat, if you will. Can but you, can, I, you, can you fathom though this this USC team? And what we thought was a lost season, and in most people's eyes still is a lost season, but then backing into the Pac-12 championship game, that would just seem bizarre at this point. And the yet, schedule lines and, up, and yet very possible. Yeah, the schedule lines up really well. Where they're going to play Cal, they're going to play UCLA. They were played Oregon State tonight, and those are maybe the the top three teams that you'd want to play right now. In the entire conference, sure. If you could pick three teams to end your conference slate with, I think those would be the three. Absolutely. And they get them, and I, I think they're going to win out in that regard in, in the conference. They're not beating Notre Dame, I don't believe, but I think they're going to win out. And now, winning out doesn't guarantee anything. It, it does not mean that they'll win the division. There can be some tiebreakers. There are just other games that 
we shouldn't even bother predicting right now because yeah. from week to week well, the Pac-12 is too unpredictable? I'm not going to make any assumptions about even what USC will do the rest of the way. That's fair. I think they should win those games. Yeah. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if they blow them No. Up. Yeah, me neither. I, I don't feel like Cal – I don't know if they have the offense to – I don't know. It, they can win a, a low-scoring game over USC. If USC can score 30, then they'll, they'll win that game. But maybe they can't. I don't know. And that's where I do feel like, going back to the way the team is constructed, they need to be ball control. They need to kind of limit how much their defense is on the field. They need to limit what they ask JT to do. If they can run the ball, they actually will be a good team. I, I think that changes everything for them if, if they're able to run the ball effectively. And that's why tonight, if they were to run a little bit more than able to run this clock out, they would have helped their defense. And I know how effective they were running the ball, but I did think they should still run even more than they did because I think everyone benefits from it. And... That is where, in the coming weeks, I still feel like Clay Hilton has to kind of show that he he understands how to manage the team, right? Like, I mean, a big part of his job, I think, is kind of knowing what you're good at, what you're not as good at, and and I I, I don't I'm not confident that that he sees that yet. And I know that he wants to run the ball, but does he understand that how, how desperate the team is for USC to be able to run the ball? Because, like, he talked about balance, right? That, again, the question I asked specifically was, could you have run more? Or, because I want to make sure I understood if he had a particular reason for not, were you trying to get JT into a rhythm coming off the injury? And he said, no, I, I wanted to have balance. Why? Well, again, how much stock do we even put in this rushing performance? So that that's a question that pertains really to just this game. I don't think there's going to be any other games this season where they're going to run with ease and that's going to be a question. Is it even worth trying to throw the ball? I think they're going to have to do both the rest of the way. Yeah, thank um, you. But it's inarguable that this team and any team functions a lot better when when you're not leaning on one facet of your offense. But this team especially because they don't have a great intermediate passing attack, which we've talked about plenty. So when the run game's gone, they are left to just hurl the ball downfield over and over again. And that's... That's when everything falls apart and looks bad and drives in quickly. And and they might not have Michael Pittman moving forward. Yeah. So, no, I mean, when we had our big debate a couple weeks ago about what the offense needs to do, I, I just I said then it's, it's vital, it's imperative yeah. that they force the issue and find a way to run the ball because they are not built to succeed any other way but that. But I'm not going to know – if that's sustainable or doable until I see another game. Yeah. I, I just 
I thought the Arizona comparison you made was perfect. It's like we, we came out of the Arizona game not really thinking anything differently about the team, just knowing that that was going to be a game where they ran the ball well. That was the game going into it where I expected them to run a lot, but I couldn't guarantee it. That's, I think, the point that they were at. And maybe that had to do with the play caller at the time. But I was not certain that they would commit to running. In fact, my conclusion uh, or my thesis coming into the game was that we're going to find out whether like, they care about how good of a running team they are. If they don't run the ball versus Arizona, then it doesn't matter to them at all. And then they did. They ran the ball really well. They ran the ball a lot. And then tonight, I would have bet that they run the ball more like they did. I know that about Clay. But now, the more I think about it, I'm wondering... Why not even more? Here, here are the final numbers on it. They had 38 running plays. I know that it's just 44, but that's including the Sacks and Emil. They had 38 running plays and 31 pass plays. That's not a great disparity. I think it could have been, you know, 45 to 25. No, that's a fair point, for sure. And they could have run the ball 50 times in this game. You're averaging 9.5 yards per carry with your running backs. I don't, I don't know. I'm, but, he, again, he, he didn't have to tell me everything. Maybe he is concerned about the passing game and felt like he needed to throw the ball a certain amount to, to see what they could accomplish doing it that way. I understand that you can't literally run every down. And there are situations where you, if you're running on maybe third and nine, then it's almost like you're giving up on the possession. So I don't want to make everything about those numbers. But running the ball is going to kind of make or break the, the rest of the season, is I think my, I totally my point here. I totally agree. And tonight only matters if any part of it proves to be sustainable. Any takeaways on the offensive line? I mean, when I asked about it, you know, I thought they were they were pretty modest, even though they were probably the MVP of the night. But they've had such a rough year and a rough week that I thought it was a very measured response coming from that camp. But they were, they were really good. And I know it's Oregon State, but you, you still need to be really good. <laughs> if, if they would have been shaky tonight, then you're, you're, you're terrified. And they weren't. They actually were dominant for a, a good portion of the game. So we've said all season that we don't think the rushing struggles were ever a product of the running backs so much yeah. and their ability. And that if given holes – up front, they could turn that into the next level and make big plays. Tonight was one of the few games all season where the, I just saw noticeable lanes and huge openings, and they hit them and they capitalized. And, and Sedware's 62-yard touchdown to, to ice the game, I don't think he was touched on that. It just this massive lane open, and he, and he shot right through it and was gone. And, 
and I, fe- he, I feel he, real quick. You were touched on an eight-yard run, which that can be hard to pull off when you're in that confined of a space. But the hole was so big there that he wasn't touched. Stephen, Stephen Carr's eight-yard run. You're right. That wasn't Carr. <laughs> he wasn't touched. Same point though. Yeah, yeah. yeah the yeah. touchdown run. Uh, yeah, where? Yeah, where had a couple big ones. But you're right. It, this was the biggest show we've seen. Again, though, I I do. It's Gordon State. I I have to keep saying that. Yeah, it's Gordon State. Okay. So I mean, ultimately, all you can do is do your job on that night, and they did tonight. A versus that opponent. So they they did. Uh, the running game was a huge positive. The line was a huge positive. Yeah. But it's all about what happens next. What happens next for us, Adam, is we get in the rental car and we drive two hours through the dark Oregon night for a 6 a.m. flight and fly back to Los Angeles and do it all again next week. Yeah. I thought we were done with these road trips, but... You're thinking it's happening. I, gosh. The, the last point I'll make here is I was impressed by how the team basically dismissed the the mere notion uh, of them being able to to play in the Pac-12 title game. They did not want to talk about it. They did not want to hear about it. They're aware of it. They knew that Utah had lost you know, earlier this afternoon. And yet, because of how they've been playing all year, they don't want to think about December. Yeah, I think I think self awareness set in last week, and that was kind of what you wrote about in your column after that game. I think that they started to see things differently and see them how, as many other fans have seen them all season, as a, as a flawed team with vulnerabilities. Yeah, I'm trying to think the last time they were in that place. It, it, it might it probably when Clay took over. It, it's a few years now where they've, they've been that place. But I always feel like I, I, I think about this stuff and I ask about it and I talk about it because I think that that's probably one of the most important traits for a team. But it could be fleeting. It's extremely hard to kind of hold on to. That humility, that respect for your opponent that week. And they had it this week. We'll see if they have it next week. We'll see. What is this we'll see stuff? <laughs> I'm, I've been hanging out with you too much. Well, you got two hours in the car with me coming up, so we'll see what else you can pick up. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, I will. Should I do it? What? Oh, the, the promo? Should I do it once more? Promo bomb? So we did. Ex- I thought we were done, we did but it, we're not. We did extend the promo for another week, but it's not going to go on forever. This is This is the end of it. So if you haven't taken advantage yet, I don't know why. I need to see the tape to understand why you've not taken advantage of it. (laughs) But you still can. Promo code USC60. Get a 60-day free trial. All our premium content. All the good stuff available to you there. Thank you. Good night. Take care.